Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. One of the definitions of launch is to start or set in motion. And every creative person has to do it. So what are the secrets to a successful launch? With eight to 10 hours a day, I was like literally emailing people one by one. I don't really check my numbers. You know, I don't really listen to the podcast. I'm able to do it again, but as a normal person. Welcome to Anna David's Launchpad. Hey guys, Anna David here. You were listening to Launchpad. We talk about book launches. You know that. I'm excited about today's guest because um, he is somebody who I met about a year and a half ago, and he told me he had all these techniques for launching a book successfully. And I was like, oh, why don't we email me and let me know what they are? Cut to this like endless email with so many amazing ideas, and they were ideas I hadn't heard of. Um, and, and that's the email that we worked from today while I interviewed him. We're talking about ideas like make a, sl- a PowerPoint presentation of the ideas in your book and then put them put that on LinkedIn. We talked about building a launch team and how it's really, you don't have to offer them that much to keep them excited. And we talked about the importance of creating an audiobook and rele- and recording it before you do your final edit on your book. But the thing that might be most interesting to you guys is that David is somebody, okay, spoiler alert, his name's David. He's somebody who uh, published a book himself and then due to the success of that book was able to sell it to a publisher. So he has had both experiences and I got him to expound on both. Um, Yes, he has a funny accent. Yes, the sound was not perfect. But um, but this is such a juicy, great one. Uh, this guy, by the way, he's from Dublin, Ireland. He's the founder of the Funny Biz Conference. He is the best-selling author of this book, Do You Talk Funny? He's been he's done a TED Talk. He's been in the Huffington Post and Forbes and all over the place. He is super funny and super smart. And the email that he gave his launch team in order to incentivize them. He is allowing me to reprint in the show notes. So if you go and you um, grab the show notes, you will not only get a transcript of this conversation as well as information about how to reach David and different places you can download it, but you will also get that email, which you could just copy and use for your own purposes. So where do you get these show notes? You go to launchpadpub.com slash blog slash David. Yes, that's launchpadpub.com slash blog slash David. And now I give you David Nihil. Hi, David. Hello. I'm so excited to be able to A, interview you, but B, do this by looking at an email you sent me a year and a half ago, which gave me advice on how to promote a book. Could anything be more meta? Very meta. Well, I didn't know you were such a maven of this character of stuff at that stage. And you're like, oh, this might be helpful. Here's a collection of lunacies I've built up from talking to people smarter than me. And it's in one email. Here you go. Might be helpful. 
Well, but I also thought when you sent the email that these were all your ideas and like, I, I basically I'm far less impressed with you now than I was when I received the email. That's very much. True. Uh, some of them are mine, I'd say, but very few. The most, I think, good ideas I've ever had come from someone smarter than me and tell me I should try something and then off I go. Well, let's talk about what you did when you released your book and therefore your best launch strategies. Now, I know that you were a student. Um, well, so who, who, did, who did your best strategies come from? I, I know Ryan Holiday was a big inspiration. You sent me some of those articles. How, basically, when you were putting together your launch plan for your book, what did you do? Yeah, I read there was a very good group that Pat Flynn used to run called Pat Flynn's first Kindle book, I think. And there was maybe 15,000 odd like kind of aspiring writers or published writers or people that were in and around the world of publishing in some way that were in that group. And it was I just joined it and it was extremely good to see people chatting through what they did that worked and what they did that didn't. I remember reading articles by... James Altucher, they were very good on how he broke down when he launched his books. And I, I think one of the ones that really stuck for me from that was the whole make sure you record your audiobook before you finish your actual written book because you will make considerable changes to it. And, and sure enough, when I recorded my audiobook, it was a studio that a lot of big publishing houses use. I just rented it independently. But the guy there told me never ever has someone recorded an audiobook and not want to change something after that he's worked with in his 14 or 15 years of being there. So that, that was pretty sound advice to start with because I, I would have thought, well, the audiobook is the last thing to do. Well, but also, so where in the process did you do it? Was it before it went to the copy editor? Uh, yeah. After it sort of got a developmental editor? Well, yeah, we had it pretty much, okay, we're agreed on this, but don't hit print. Don't send it out. Don't publish anything yet. I'm going to go record this audiobook, and I think I'll have a few changes. And yeah, it's probably the only time you're forced and you're likely to read your own stuff. And you read it aloud, and you're like, oh, that's horrendous. Who wrote this garbage? And you're like, oh, I did. I better make it <laughs> a little bit better. But is that launch-related? I mean, in a way, it is, because you also do you also recommend making sure the audiobook is ready to go when the paperback and ebook is ready? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that was one of the things I learned the hard way as well, that when it – it, it, it's, I guess it's, it's different a bit if you're doing it with a publisher or without a publisher, but just the timelines, how slow and clunky something like Amazon can be is a little bit bewildering nearly when all of a sudden you're in a hurry, I'm launching this on a certain date, and you realize, oh, there's no way that Audible is going to be able to pull this off in less than three weeks. So I think it's just having a better idea of those timelines up front would have helped me a lot. Um, it definitely helped me the second time around because I'm like, all right, I'm going to soft launch this without saying anything. I'm going to make sure it's up on Amazon. I'm going to get people on a launch team. I, d I didn't think I knew anybody who might be on a launch team, but I think it would. that wording had come from something that I think it was Nils Parker, Tucker Max, and possibly Ryan Holiday, some work they had written out and put together around launching independent books. And it was like, here, number one asset you can probably have is a launch team. These are people you don't know that they're interested in helping you, but will magically become interested when you just send an email out, no matter how small your list is. And just to keep track of those people and make sure it's very, each email is independent, whereas you're addressing it to them personally for follow-up and just to make sure that those people, yeah, they get an early copy of your book, but make sure they come in true on their part of the bargain, which was to leave a review. Well, and you very helpfully sent me 
the actual email that you sent to your people, which I think is so useful that possibly I should include it in the show notes if you would allow me to. Oh, yeah, no problem. It does have a picture of a cat with a rocket coming out of his backside. Which It uh, sure does. It's a really cute cat. Um, and it, it's called, you know, a team member with benefits, a launch team with benefits. And really... I say with tons of respect, you're not offering them very much. You're just saying, hey, do you, you get a copy of this book. You get to join a Facebook group. You get to give the book to free, for free to someone else. I'm going to thank you. Um, so I think that's interesting because I think people would be interested to know you don't have to offer them your firstborn or that, that cat with the, you know, being shoot, shot, shot up with the rocket. Like really all you're doing. What? They don't need a rocket cat. They don't need a rocket cat to agree to read your book. So, so um, how many people were you able to get with this awesome email? Uh, I think I said on there I was limiting it to 100 or limiting it to 50. But realistically, I think I had 110 on there, 120. And then a few drop out and go missing. And, you know, that's fair enough. Life gets in the way of reading a book sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I do remember it was a bit disheartening when you'd follow up. And, like, they would tell you the real reasons why they haven't read your book yet and that could get it was like my cat got cancer i lost my shoes my job uh some you know my dog left me it just became like the most mental list of excuses i'd like yeah sure you know you never know what's happening in somebody's life but yeah some of them were pretty comical it was de- they definitely made this up and some of them were being very genuine you know a lot of people just don't have time yeah. to read a full book and i think a key part of asking them to be on that review team was also letting them know that they don't need to write a very lengthy detailed review that realistically somebody else will do those ones they'll get upvoted by the community you just need some form of review and just to let it know let people know that hey you can always edit your review in the future so if you want and you make you feel comfortable write a review on me and my work and how it might have helped you and how you ended up on my email list in the first place and then when you get around to reading the book just go back and edit it God, that's such they, great advice yeah. I've, I've never heard that yeah, it was, it was very helpful because I was thinking of myself when someone sends me a book and I'm like, well, I didn't really want to read this book anyway. And now they're like, oh, could you leave a review? And you're like, oh, I haven't read that yet and I don't have time and I don't really want to, but you don't want to say any of that. So you just kind of ignore any requests they send your way. Whereas if they make it known, here, listen, we're friends. Uh, you had some interest in my work somewhere, assuming you thought it was mildly decent. Could you write the review on that? And, you know, if you don't feel good about writing a review for a book that you haven't actually read yet, and then you can just go back and edit it. What's also interesting about your email is that you break down um, that it, you, that for people don't if you're a Kindle fan don't pre-order. So you you a lot of people think you either have to have a launch team or offer pre-orders. But what you actually did is people could pre-order, but only the the paperback. Correct? Yeah, only the paperback. Um, and so the launch team was just for the ebook, but they both go on the same page. It's the exact same thing. The only difference really is if, if you're under pressure for a publisher to try and go for a bestseller status right out of the gate on the first day of launch, you really do have to work pre-orders. And pre-orders are a tough sale because they're like, buy this thing that you might get at some stage in the future. But I think with Kickstarter and all these projects we have at the moment where we're used to paying a sum for something we don't actually get. I mean, look at half the people who bought Tesla's when they, they launched their lower budget version, like want to buy a car now and get it in a year and a half? Well, not really. That doesn't seem like it makes sense. I want it now. 
But I, I just you always thought it was a harder sale to get someone to do a pre-order on a book. And I was like, let's give it to them when it's available to consume immediately. So I didn't want, I, I figured this would be a slow burner because public speaking, what I wrote it on is not exactly the world's sexiest topic. So like, there's no way out of the gate, all these people are just going to rush to it and go, yeah, this topic that I normally stay away from, I want nothing more than to read about it right now. When you write about it, it's very sexy though. Come on. Hey, well, and I'm thinking. not just talking about the audiobook. I'm talking about the page. Um, now here's a very creative, uh, thing that you recommended in this email slide share. So talk about how that can help launch a book. Yeah, it's funny. If you had said to me, like there's people out there that will voluntarily spend their time looking at a presentation that you're not going to be there for. You're like, how about I just send the slides? Imagine you were speaking at a conference and you're like, they're offering you an amount of money. And like, you know what? For half the price, I'll just send you my slides and your audience can sit there and nobody uh, visible will control the advancement of those slides and they can just watch it. You'd be like, that's a horrendous idea. But funny enough, that's exactly what SlideShare is. And people are on there voluntary consuming quite a lot of information. And the view counts on there can be pretty huge. And you can leave the sign-up trailer for You could use something that leads into your funnel on there as a sign-up at the start or the end of it. Um, and I, I think I have over 2 million views on that SlideShare I put together. Uh, I did hire a designer to help me. I, I put out the content. I made a kind of DIY design myself, and then I got somebody off Upwork or Odesk, as it might have been at the time, and I think I paid them like 150 bucks maybe to design it and make it look good. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It looks pretty good. So just so people can even understand what you mean. So basically, you make a, a slide deck like um, in PowerPoint or whatever program you want, yep. and then you upload it onto this site called SlideShare. And then this what does not work for fiction, probably, because it's very no. odd to have a slide deck about a novel. Yeah. But if, if it is a nonfiction book, you're basically breaking down the information that's in your book, correct? Yeah. So you're, you're kind of giving them a synopsis of the most popular bits of content from within the book, especially if it's, if it's got a how-to vibe to it or it's got a how-to angle. Here are the 10 or 15 tips to make the biggest difference in the book. If you want to read some more, off you go. But just allows you to put some short, catchy content together, make it look good, and maybe brand it in a way that it looks a bit like the book cover. Yeah, and now I'm and now I'm looking at the page, and so on the page you put an option to to buy the book as well. Yeah, and I have every every link there. They're all live links to the different booksellers, and then on the next one, it's like, hey, do you want to get? These are 23 tips, but they're part of 80 tips. You can get that for free as well. So a lot of people go through and sign up. But the only um, downside of LinkedIn, I find with the SlideShare, nobody controls the comments properly. So if I don't go near those comments for a week or two, it's a bunch of like, buy Russian people online, see naked hippos. Like it could say absolutely anything. There isn't any genuine interaction in the comments on there. I wonder why you're saying that when the comment that I'm reading right now says girls for sex in your area are there. <laughs> nice. And, I, mean, I was going to write that myself, but then I thought that could be controversial. Let me leave the <laughs> robot somewhere. Yeah, that's um, the downside I found from it. But it, it does clock up a, a pretty huge amount of views, and they have active members, but not as many as you think, and not that many authors on nonfiction tend to use it as a resource. I, okay, so yeah, I didn't even understand that. Sli even though it's slideshare.net is the site, it's part of LinkedIn, correct? It is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. LinkedIn it will run featured content sometimes, and if you get on their homepage, it can be like being on the homepage of Reddit. So I think my one was SlideShare featured. So ones that are well-designed with good information get featured by them. And you can, I think you hit them up on Twitter 
at SlideShare featured and you're like, hey, I just published a new SlideShare. I think you might like it if it can be considered. There, there's a way they, they do it and you get in touch with them about it. And then they featured it. And yeah, it was next to Oprah and some other stuff there for a couple of days. And that really kicks it on its way. And But you can't actually gauge how many books that sold. No, you could if you put the link in there specific to the purchase links. If you made bit.ly links and you track those links that are in there, you could uh, track how many links came from there. But you couldn't track if they converted to purchases or not. But you could certainly track the, the actual traffic that comes your way. Um, okay. And other things. So, so we don't know if that, if that uh, Pat Flynn group still exists, but were there other Facebook groups or other communities that you joined in order to promote your book? No, uh, that was the best one. I, I think I got a little bit lucky when I put my book out. The concept that I used was to test it as an online course before it became a book because I was such a rubbish writer and I had no idea what I was talking about with a lot of this and I didn't know if it would resonate and I didn't really want to put myself out there in a way, you know, I'm from Ireland. If you're doing anything mildly self-help orientated, they might not let you back in the country. It could be a 50-50. Oh. They got to customs. They're like, did you write a self-help? They're like, go back to America, Tony Robbins. Get out of here. <laughs> But it wasn't meant to be a self-help book, but it, once it went into that category, I was like, all right, I guess it is. I didn't really see it that way when I did it. But I did mine as a course initially because I wanted to be able to interactively chat with people. Now, I was early on Udemy, which I don't think is a great one for doing this anymore, but there must be some new online platforms for course content where you can where you can have your content put out to a bunch of people without you having to do a lot of marketing, that they're hungry to get new users. So if you're one of their featured courses, all of a sudden you can clock out a good amount of people or clock register a, lot, a good amount of people. And I'd say I got four or 5,000 pretty quickly on there. And they were the ones I was leveraging to say, hey, I made this course. I put it on Reddit as well. I made this course. I'd love your feedback as part of it. I'm looking for a few initial users to complete it. And, and it got a lot of take up on Reddit and it got a lot of take up on Udemy. And then I kept going back and posting and saying, hey, does this make sense? What, what are you not liking? What do you like it? And when I got to the point that that was very well reviewed, then I was like, all right, I'm going to transcribe all this content into the outline of a book and then kind of work backwards from there. Because I, I just didn't want day one to be sitting there looking at a blank page going, all right, start a book. I was like, I'd right. rather take all the content I have than know that works, get that transcribed and start with like 80 pages in front of me of content. I'm like, I need to build a story around this. Yeah. And my company, by the way, is going to start converting courses into books for people because there's all these people running around with all these courses not realizing that that material can easily translate into a book yeah and i think your most likely people to read that book are the ones that took your course in the first place and i think if you knew some of the metrics on online course com course completion people sign up to it because they think it's a great idea but it tends to be like 10 percent or less for the average person that, that signs up so they would still read your book because they haven't bothered finishing your course yet so they're like well i prefer books i prefer audiobooks i like reading i don't really like taking online courses by myself and sitting there looking at a screen that normally brings me joy through netflix or something else so i, I think they'll be your first readers and your first customers and it, it certainly was the case uh, with me when i did my launch that that's where the launch team came from that's where the early readers came from that's where the biggest supporters came from that's where the people that were posting on linkedin and saying nice things they had all been they felt like they had helped shape the content and they were right to feel that way because they did without them right. it, it never would have been what it was Right. Although, by the way, I do think the statistics on people finishing books are, are just as dismal as the statistics around yeah. people taking courses, Probably. buying and not taking courses. 
Um, okay. I'm looking still at your list. Um, um, did you swap out at any point and, you know, do a new version of your book that's on the list? Keep the name, keep the reviews. Yeah. So what I did was I wrote the book, I self-published it, and then I used the initial traffic numbers and downloads to pitch it to a publisher without any traditional book proposal. So I just kind of went around. I was like, hey, this has 105 star reviews. It's been noted, downloaded 19,000 times or whatever it was in the first week. Might just be of something that you were interested in working on if we took it down and rewrote it. So I effectively had two launches. I had the launch for when I self-published it, and then I rewrote it, and I had the launch for when I actually published it. Well, I, t- I resent the word actually uh, because both are publishing right. it. You know, but- both, you know what? And Self-publishing was better in every way, shape, or form, and more of an enjoyable experience, and to me was more beneficial than any other form of publishing so yeah i didn't meant with no malice i'm actually a bigger fan of that but the the weird impact was the published version did give me a chance to improve and have extra eyeballs on what i had so it did ultimately create a superior product but it did you know it gives you no real benefits other than some more eyeballs on your stuff in the creation stage which sometimes is useful and sometimes drive you nuts but it did sell way more copies in audiobook format for some reason when i actually went with a publisher i mean oh okay so, day, like 10 times more okay wait a minute so you not only sold the print um rights but then you also sold the audio rights even though you already had an audiobook I didn't. I kept the audio right. So when I when I talked to oh, I publishers, uh, any of the ones that I chatted to or any of my friends that had been down that road where they'd already done self-publishing and then sold it to a publisher, most of the publishers sold focus. And it's starting to change a little bit now. They're being a lot more sensitive over where they can squeeze extra revenue out of books. But audiobooks were not their area of expertise. Most publishers were doing it at an afterthought. And most of them on negotiation were willing to leave that out. Yeah. So if you, were, if you were doing a trade-off or something, so yeah, they, I think the only way I agreed to do that deal was if I kept the audio book rights and then I had to redo the whole thing. But you're saying once the publisher released the book, then the audio rights, sold, then the audio copies sold more or no? Yeah, Did you much, not say much that at better all? better for some unexplained reason because I, they should have been selling equally or, or better beforehand because I'd done kind of all the podcast tour around launch I tried anyone's podcast I did. I tried to get them to release them around the same time, um, which certainly helps around launch. Okay, but hold, please. Let's walk this back one second because I can't tell you how many people say to me, okay, so if I publish through you or I self-publish, I can always sell to a big publisher later. It is actually highly rare. It is incredibly rare. So even though that you did that and you had other people that you could talk to about that, I probably, you know, I talk about books all day, every day. I probably know four people ever that have been able to do that. You have to sell a shitload of books. Well, or at least make it look like you've had a lot of interest in your, in your book. So you don't technically have to sell them. They have no way of differentiating whether you gave those books away or sold them. So if you have a launch where you have freely available copies for the first 24 hours and then it becomes, say, $0.99, cents, then $1.99 and $2.99. So I think we had that incremental pricing strategy for the first week. But for the first day, it was certainly made available for free to the people that same group on Reddit that had downloaded the course originally. So that clocked up a very large amount of copies. And that was enough to keep it in the bestseller category list for maybe like two months around the topic, but my book, Public Speaking, it's a bit of a slow burn sale. 
Like there's no way that's a hot topic every day that people are buying books on. So the sales numbers to dominate that category or at least to rank highly in it were definitely a lot less. And I was putting up some very high numbers compared to everyone else because it was free at the start. But to the best of my knowledge, they had no way of differentiating whether they were free or sold. And they were not asking for the financial breakdowns from Amazon. They were purely going on the rankings in fact, it was top of the charts, the number of ratings, which I think they were, most publishers said we need at least kind of 100 five-star ratings to show there's a good bit of interest there. And the rest of it, I think I just got lucky because everybody I knew that wrote a book that self-published sold it to a publisher. And there was only three guys that I knew who'd done it, um, guys and girls in San Francisco, and that's the route they had all taken. So it, it didn't seem strange to me to be able to do that. So um, anyway, how? Everything about you is strange. That's not true. Uh, just your just your asset. Um, yeah, you, they're probably placing from Ireland around now. <laughs> if they haven't been like, I don't under I, I like this guy, but I really can only understand every other word he's saying. But they're piecing it together. Works for me. Um, now, but how much later then? You might have just said this. Was it six months after the release? When did you do that? And and did you get an agent? I missed that part. Did you reach out to publishers directly? No, I reached out to a bunch of agents. Um, mm -hmm. I tried publishers directly, and that was a bit of a mission. So I figured it would be a lot easier if I had an agent kind of batten down the door with the numbers on my behalf. Um, so I got an agent. I, I tried the best agents I wanted to try and get. I wasn't able to get because one of them had just signed up to release a similar book on the same topic with someone who would have been a competitive author to my one in that space. Mm -hmm. So I really did try and find the agents of the authors that I loved. And I was like, these are the people that dominate this category. Are they all using the same agent or not? And a lot of time it comes down to eight or nine similar agents around those business book topics, especially for the true bestseller ones. And so I tried. I wasn't successful on that. So I kind of was in plan B on everything after that, where I was with an agent. I didn't really know. Someone might have recommended him someone along the way. And then I was dealing with publishers that sometimes I didn't really know. And how long did that whole process take of finding the agent, having the agent sell it, all of that? I think it was about three to four months, maybe mm -hmm. from, from first contact. So it was about relatively quick. It, it certainly wasn't the world's greatest deal, as I think it never is, unless you come to a table and you're like, hey, I have 100,000 subscribers on my email list. Like, like yeah. Read X amount. But I think at that stage, I was burned out with the marketing. I realized that they wouldn't do a lot of marketing, so I didn't care. It just gave me a chance to have a second book launch to redo some of the content and to have somebody bear the, the cost and a lot of the editing time of doing that. So it kind of, it just made sense all around for me to go, well, I don't care how it does. Like, let's try. But mm -hmm. I realized that they're going to tell me they're going to do a bunch of marketing. And I know enough at this stage to realize they're not, they're just going to print a nice looking book and it'll look better than the one I made. Yeah. It took me six books to understand that they were going to do actually nothing. Um, and it kind of kills me when I hear people go like, oh, I, I want to go traditional. I want to go on a book tour. I want my book in bookstores. And I'm like, I don't know a, a author who's been on a book tour. I haven't heard of that in about 15 years. I mean, people send themselves. Um, and, and I don't know, my books have, were in Barnes and Noble for, for two weeks, three weeks, maybe. Well, I got some good traffic with the, the bookstores. I was definitely in them in small numbers, but I was, I was in them all like people were taking photos of it and magically finding it at an airport here and there randomly in Bangkok or it was in Barnes and Noble. It definitely, it got it into the bookstores, but 
they order it in such small amounts, but depending on the publisher, that how long is it going to be there for? Who knows? But it, it definitely helped get a few extra reviews from a couple of bookstores that were saying, oh, we, we've had this book, we met the other, we like it. It opened up their doors to do one or two events there. But yeah, the amount of overall support was was shocking. It was in, it's just, You can't even explain how disappointing it is when you learn that in your mind, this entity who's an expert on selling and publishing books, of course they're going to help me. It's in their interest, right? They must have a marketing budget for this. And they had nothing. Even when I was like, I'm going to do a slide share, they were like, what slide share? Why would you do this? This must be a total waste of time. Yeah. And we wouldn't have budget money for that. But I think over some two and back negotiations, there might have been a marketing budget of maybe a thousand books but and, and, and when i say a thousand books oh wait david your voice is getting a little janky can you lean back a little bit i think it's like not yeah, too much sorry you're saying which is on my the, chin. the microphone is being weird you're saying such golden nuggets that i don't want to miss any of them no but, worries no golden but, nuggets. It's, you know, but yeah I, I it is amazing to me the the, the how little they, they care how little the publisher seems to care. I always liken it to, to like, you've sold a movie to Sony. You are the writer, the director, the producer. It's a one person movie and they are with you. They are fired up. They have funded it. They are excited. And then it comes out and they've totally disappeared. And you yeah. never hear from them again. And no. you're like, I thought we were in this together. What happened here? Yeah, and in their mind, it's all very traditional. Like they are going to bring it to some book exposition somewhere and have it on a table. And if someone shouts interest in it, it might turn up in some extra distribution channel. And in their mind, that's the extent of the marketing. That was it. Oh, we had a copy of it. We gave some copies away. I think they had a list of journalists they were going to reach out to and just without writing to them in any way to tell them about the book. They were just going to post them the book and hope for the best. And that was a large amount of the marketing budget was the cost of just postage. randomly just randomly posting books. Yeah, the cost of each book and the postage to go with the book. And that was their marketing strategy. And I was like, yeah, but are they interested in this genre of book? Have you written to them to tell them to ask them if they'd actually like it? Have you made contact? Do you know if this list is updated? Where, where did it even come from? And it wasn't. And it, yeah. was, it was nearly laughable. And I was like, this is not going to launch this book in any way, shape, or form. So yeah, it was definitely a bit sad when you find that out because you're like, oh, I thought I was getting a team of people after this lonely period of time I've already completed by myself in writing this. Now, surely it's going to be great working with a team. And there's no team. It's just you. And are you open to talking about money, like how much you were able to make on your own and then how much you were able to make with the publisher? Yeah, I, I don't like talking about um, money, just the Irish side of life, me if I can avoid actual numbers. But yeah, the, the publisher, it, it wasn't that much. And it just it just leads to a weirdly recurring check that turns up every six months or so. You're, it, that's the other part of how shocking it is that you find out their payment schedules are like a year and a half. You might see yeah. your first check like a year and a half down the road. They are so behind on the financial side of life and in no hurry to change that in any way. It was scary. So I was very glad that I left the audiobook on Audible because at least that gives me a predictable monthly revenue stream that I'm in full control of. Yeah. So, um, it wasn't massive, but I think it's done about 16,000 audiobooks maybe at the moment. That's amazing. That book. Yeah, no, which is great. And But I think the self-published audiobook only did 600 copies. Interesting. Um, yeah. Well, so maybe they had behind-the-scenes shenanigans at Audible that they could pull. 
I don't know. I, you know, I met a couple of people from Audible and I wrote to them and they, they used to be big fans of comedy in some genres and they did my book as a featured book for a bit. And then a website I had not heard of, but I liked the look of since called Book Authority did a review and they, they pride themselves on not going by the hype around books, but by going on the actual download numbers and how many reviews a book has uh, from readers on Goodreads and Amazon. And I think mine came out highest for storytelling and for public speaking. So it was listed as like the number one best book of all time in those two categories for audiobooks. And that made a huge difference. That was, that was, was a massive spike in sales all of a sudden. Yeah, I will say uh, my self-published book uh, made Book Authority's list of best addiction books, and none of my HarperCollins books ever did. But yeah, Book Authority is a great site. Yeah, um, it was very cool. And the books that it picks as number one are genuinely, when you look at them, they are the highest rated and the most downloaded usually. So it was nice. I think I used that to go back to the publisher and go, all right, if I'm getting listed as number one in all these things, why am I not in all these bookstores alongside all these ones that it's actually outselling? and outranking and higher reviewed than online. And yeah, they'll just ignore you forever. Yeah. And they were like, David, David, who? Oh, oh the, David, uh, who? David it, you know, who? the most disappointing was when I had the editor, when I had my own independent editor, the nicest thing of putting out a course was charging people for the course first. So that I had enough money to go and buy whatever editor within budgetary reason, but it allowed me to reach out to editors that I really wanted to work with. So I got one that loved comedy was passionate about the topic and we wrote it together. And I didn't need to remind him of anything. Like he was as invested in the book as I was when we were having back and forth commentary. I didn't need to explain anything. He just knew. It was like two minds that were very focused on one topic, even though he, he of course, would have had other projects on the go. But when I went with the publisher, it was like reminding somebody what the book was every time I wrote an email to them. And their feedback was, it was bonkers. It just made no sense. I said, like, how many books are you working on at the moment where you don't remember anything about what you've been telling me about mine and it was a real struggle and book design with a publisher as well that was a real struggle like you assumed that they know something about doing book covers but they knew nothing they were sending me pictures of chickens every week it was a chicken in a different position i'd say i'm not putting a chicken on the cover of the book and they'd send me back another picture and they would have had changed the chicken from a horizontal to vertical position and that was the big difference i'm like i told you no chickens then the chicken came back with a shirt on him I was like, which part of no chickens are you not understanding? Then they put glasses on the tie on the chicken. I was like, you're really into chickens. And then it became a whoopee cushion. I was like, no whoopee cushions, no chickens. And I, I really had a lot of argument forward and back with them onto yeah. what was the optimum book design. So I, I hired someone myself to do it. I tested it in Pat Flynn's Kindle group. And I got maybe 350 people, I think, commented on it and voted on the different covers. And needless to say, the chicken was not performing top of the list there. And that was the only way I convinced him to go with my book. I was like, here's the numbers. Nobody wants your chicken on there. doesn't make any. I assume that they must know what they're doing, but it just became clear. No, they don't. Yeah. With one of my books, my last book with Harper, I, I hated the cover and I hired an independent cover designer. It was gorgeous and they didn't agree. And we went with their cover and there was nothing I could do about it. Yeah. But, I, I, they, were, they were hard and fast. Like even my agent, everyone was kicking in. Like, who are you to talk about this? We are masters of this area. And I was like, I'm just, it wasn't until I just showed them the numbers that they all went, okay, whatever. Like, we'll let, we'll let you get your way on this. But the numbers were, were so strong against all their covers and were so strong. Even I tested different color variations, tested everything I could test. And I, I couldn't have done that without any of those online groups. 
Well, David, this has been delightful and most informative. Um, if people want to find out more about you um, slash get this book, tell me where they can do that. Yeah, you, I mean, you can get the book hopefully anywhere they sell books these days. It's called Do You Talk Funny? And if you want to find out more about me, uh, my site is David com, and links to anything and everything I think I've done on there, lunacy-wise, or any waffle I've spoken somewhere are probably all there. Um, excellent. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you guys for listening. By the way, if you got anything out of this episode, and I assume you did because wasn't he delightful, there is no harm in writing a review. You heard us talk about how great a book review is. A podcast review is just as great, if not better. Um, it would mean so much to me. Just a five-star rating. That doesn't take any time at all. You don't care if they make it to the end of the podcast to leave that review, right? First couple, well, of them, write one for you personally, as we've said there, and on you go. Exactly, exactly. Okay, David, thank you, and thank you guys for listening. Bye.